All right. Well, imagine for a second. Actually, close your eyes. We're, re we're going to really imagine this for a second. Unless you've got a, a kid on your lap, then you have permission not to. Imagine for a second, close your eyes, imagine it's sometime around the year 30 AD, and, and I don't know if you really know what the, the uh, Sea of Galilee and its countryside looked like at that time, that's okay. Just imagine, imagine something like that. You're a resident of Israel or one of the immediately surrounding nations, and word has gotten out about this intriguing and mysterious teacher, his name's Jesus, he's from Nazareth, and you've heard that he's been doing these in increasingly impressive, and not just impressive, but miraculous things, and word's gotten back to you. You've heard he's healed the sick, you've heard he's shown incredible power over demons, you've heard that he teaches with a unique authority that no one else has since the last of the Hebrew prophets centuries ago. And something stirred up in you, and you decide to make a journey. You decide to leave your fields for maybe a two or three days journey, maybe longer on either side, and, and, and to go to Capernaum to try to see and hear this Jesus. And when you get there, there's this huge crowd, and Jesus has gotten into a boat so that he can go out just into, just a little bit into this little lake, and so he can preach up towards the people gathered along the hillside, which makes almost like a natural amphitheater. And the energy of the crowd is crazy. They're just, they're, it's so big and they're so eager for what Jesus is teaching. And you squeeze through and you settle in to hear him for, for as long as you can before you have to head back. Now you can open your eyes. Here's what you hear. You've made it there. Here's what you hear. Listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. And other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seeds, they fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And maybe Jesus leaves a dramatic pause there. Who knows? Maybe he, he pauses and allows people to chew on what he's just said for a few minutes. And then maybe he begins telling another enigmatic story like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. He starts talking about seeds, or he starts talking about a tree, or he starts talking about weeds or something. And another story, and another story, and another story, and another story. What's your reaction? You've traveled days to get here. You've heard the legends about this guy. And here you are, and he's talking about <laughs> seeds and stuff. <laughs> What's going on? How do you react? Maybe you're thinking, I traveled all this way for this, like this is the guy? This is this great teacher I've heard about? 
Maybe more than that, maybe you're not just confused, maybe you're angry. And, and, and maybe all you start, your mind starts turning to all the work you've left done on your field at your farm and how much sacrifice it's going to cost when you get back. And you're, you're maybe more than confused, you're, you're just angry. Like, I left my family and a week's worth of crucial work in my fields, and this guy's just telling me riddles. Or maybe you're intrigued. Maybe you find yourself kind of oddly compelled by this story. Uh, Even though you don't exactly know why he's telling it or what he's getting at with this, uh, maybe you you stick around as long as you can, maybe a whole day, maybe a couple of days, then you travel back. And as you get back a few days later, you're at your farm and this image of this sower comes back to your mind. You're thinking of the sower just casting the seed. And he's casting it everywhere indiscriminately. Good soil, bad soil, rocky, thorny. He's just sowing. And you can't get this image out of your head. It just keeps coming back to you. And maybe you process it with your spouse or your kids. You say, hey, what what do you guys think about this? Listen to this story this teacher told me the other day. What's he trying to get at? Maybe your imagination runs wild with the story, not what it means in the abstract, but actually what it means for you in particular. Maybe a few months later, you start planning a second trip back to see this Jesus. He's hooked you somehow. One of Jesus' favorite methods of teaching was through the use of parables like this one. And if you've been around church or you've been a Christian for any amount of time at all, I'm sure you've seen series on the parables of Jesus. You've heard parables, parables, parables. It's, it's a common thing. They're, they're kind of fun to, to look at. They're interesting. Um, but this is what Jesus did. But, but I think the power and, and maybe even the purpose of these parables hits us more when we actually put ourselves in the situation and you imagine, what would it be like to hear about this great teacher and go and hear that? What would it do to you? And Jesus did this a lot, taught this way. Hey Josh, hey Mackenzie. I got a magnet for the, like a magnet stop for this door that all didn't have time to put on today. So hopefully next week we can have that door unlocked without it swinging open. Until then we have Sean. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> you actually, you're always the one that comes and saves the door. I appreciate it, man. Should we just lock it? Somebody, if somebody knocks, uh, we'll, uh, we'll open it for him. We, we need to have this door unlocked because that's our only uh, wheelchair access. So that'd be a bummer if somebody couldn't get in. But we'll, we'll listen for the knock. Thank you, Sean. Um, so Jesus taught in parables a lot. And, and not everyone responded the same way. Some people were drawn in. Some people were repulsed. Some people were pushed away. Some people were just confused. And that's actually how it was supposed to be according to Jesus. Um, If we keep reading, we're going to see that even Jesus' closest disciples often didn't know what to make of this stuff when Jesus started going down these roads. So here's what happens. We keep reading. Verse 10. So so Mark is kind of taking us from the immediate story of Jesus on the lake, and he's... he's, he's Some other time, when, when he was alone, when the big crowd wasn't around, those around Jesus with the twelve asked him about the parables. You can imagine just going, so what is up with this stuff, Jesus? Why do you keep teaching this way? And he said to them, 
To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may see but not perceive, they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Well, that's interesting. It may be a little scary. What is going on here? Well, let's stop, let's stop and, and ask a few questions. For, for, you've probably heard some of this before, but we'll, we need to do it because we're going to be in the parables for just a couple more weeks here. Mark only has a short section of parables in his gospel, but um, it's going to take us a few weeks to get through it. So what are parables? What are parables? Well, well Jesus' parables are these short, illustrative stories that typically communicate deep truths about the kingdom of God that he's bringing. Remember, Mark has defined Jesus' central message multiple times in his gospel already as the proclamation of the kingdom. And if the kingdom of God is coming, the response is repent and believe. The kingdom is at hand, repent and believe. Whatever else Jesus was teaching, it's connected to this idea. The kingdom's coming, repent and believe. And the parables are sort of illustrating principles about the kingdom. They're communicating deep truths about what it's looking like as his kingdom is coming and what life within his kingdom is meant to look like. And they're meant to require some work to understand. They're usually meant to inspire a lot further reflection. He doesn't expect his hearers to instantly hear the parable and go, oh, okay, I got it. But you're meant to take it back home with you and to chew on it and to wrestle through it and to let it, let it kind of worm its way into your mind and heart. Um, and just as much as they're, they're meant to inspire reflection, they're often meant to shock and disturb hearers in some way, to provoke you, to poke at you. Maybe not this one quite as much, but many of them, they're, they're meant to needle you and leave you unsettled a bit. And the disciples have a great question here. Like, why? They, they, they ask him, essentially, I assume, why are you teaching in these parables? Why parables, Jesus? And he gives us the, the answer. Um, he says the parables, I mean, we, to paraphrase what he's saying, that the parables almost become like a Rorschach test for his, for his hearers. You know what a Rorschach test is? It's like old school, like, what is it, like psychologists in movies that have Rorschach tests. They hold up the ink blot. What do you see? And if you say something disturbing, like you're probably a really disturbed person or whatever. Uh, it's like a Rorschach test. It's, it's, it's what you bring to it is often what you're going get to out, get out of it. People will often, when, when he lifts this thing up in front of his hearers, they will often either recognize the wisdom of God, like divine wisdom in that story somehow, or they'll see them as stupid or weird or irrelevant or meaningless or not worth their time for some reason or another. In this exact same story in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 13, verse 12, he, he adds to what Jesus says here. In Mark 13, 12, Jesus says, for the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And so, both with what we see here in Mark and what we see in Matthew and in Luke, we we put together that the purpose of the parables is to draw those with eyes to see and ears to hear in. If you are willing to kind of go on this journey with Jesus, there is much more for you to discover. 
it's to stir their imaginations, to invite them into more and more reflection, and ultimately to reveal truth, real truth, about Jesus' kingdom, how it works. But at the very same time, and this is what Mark emphasizes in his account, it is to conceal his message from those without ears to hear, without eyes to see, those who aren't interested in genuinely discerning Jesus' message, those who just want reason to write him off, he's going to give it to them. He's going to give them reason to write him off. Isn't that interesting? How people respond to Jesus' parables often reveals how people are responding to Jesus' message about the kingdom of God when it's more explicit as well. To the kingdom that Jesus is bringing into the world. And it's incredibly important to note that Jesus includes a modified quote, that quotation there in verse 12. It's a, it's a modified quotation of Isaiah 6, 9-10, through 10, where God tells Isaiah to go and bring his prophetic message to God's people, even though God knows they're not going to receive it. The context is, I've got a message for you to take. They're not going to receive it, but I want you to go and preach it anyway. So there's grace there, actually. Jesus, if we take all of what we learn about Jesus in the New Testament, we know that Jesus desires that none should perish, and he offers the forgiveness of sins and entrance into his kingdom to everyone without discrimination. But here he identifies himself with Isaiah, the genuine prophet of God who knows his message is going to be rejected by many with hard hearts. So the parables, they're meant to, like they are fully dependent on the hearer. For their purpose to emerge and it, it makes me think of this example have you ever had like a work of art for me I'm not like a real highbrow guy I don't when I say art I'm not thinking like highbrow paintings and classical music and stuff if you're into that I respect it I just don't have the I don't think I have the maturity for it frankly but I'm thinking of like a book a movie a piece of music or whatever that, that at first when you heard it or saw it or read it or whatever it just totally was off-putting to you like, I don't get this at all. Maybe I hate this thing. But for some reason, there was some spark in there. There was something interesting enough that you decided to give it more time. You decided to chew on it. Maybe you decided to listen to it again and again and again. Or you watch the movie again. And like, Man, there's something here. And then at some point, that thing that at first you were like, I don't get this at all. I don't want anything to do with it. It actually becomes one of your favorite things. Anybody had that experience? For real. A lot of us. Yeah, I think that's really common. I think a, a, a great example you could, you could think of is like, it, like it, you know, I wasn't alive at the time, but you think of Bob Dylan going electric. You know, what a scandal that was in sort of pop music and folk music. Here he was this folk hero who all of a sudden comes out, show guitars blazing, the organs railing. He's got an electric guitar in his hand and it felt antithetical to everything that his sort of folk music thing was about. Give it a little bit of time, and those, those shows and that album, Highway 61 Revisited, those are like iconic. Everyone's like, oh, that was like one of the most important things that's ever happened in pop music. Or you think about, uh, more recently, uh, a big one that comes to mind was there was an album by Radiohead called Kid A. They'd kind of ascended, like, they'd become the biggest thing in kind of guitar, rock, pop music, Brit pop, and they had just gotten like this creative opus called OK Computer that was like the coolest, most innovative thing in guitar music. And then finally for their next album, they basically had like no guitars. 
and no big choruses, no loud drums for the most part. It was just this weird electronic insular thing that you really had to listen to with headphones to appreciate. And it has become since like regarded as one of the best albums ever. People hated it at first and then people got it and now people love it. And this might seem like a silly example, but the one, one that came to mind for me in particular, I don't know how many of y'all are, are rap music fans or Kanye West fans in particular. I've been a big fan of Kanye, warts and all, since I heard his first record when I was in high school. And, uh, and I did not vote for him for president last year. I'll just state it for the record. Uh, what an era, what an era of that man's life. Um, but he had this record that came out, you may have listened to it, it's called 808s and Heartbreak. And if, after making all these just dominant rap albums, he experienced a lot of heartbreak in his life. Um, his mother passed away, I think an uh, engagement was, was called off, and he was like at the lowest of lows. And he ended up channeling all that into this piece of music, this album that I think is just beautiful. And it's just these icy tones, and instead of rapping on most of it, he's singing. And he's admittedly not a great singer, but he featured his singing voice front and center, and it's through this auto-tune, so it sounds like distorted and electronic and weird. And all the music, instead of the like maximalist, triumphant stuff he was doing, it was this like icy, electronic, like often very quiet, often very moody music. And people were like, what in the world is this? And whether you like it or not, it has simply become the template for basically all mainstream rap and even R&B music, like in the, in the 15 years since. Like everyone thought this is weird, this makes no sense. And then it ended up totally changing the pop music landscape. And if you listen to any music like that, it's in the shadow of 808s and Heartbreak. Here's my point. What Jesus is doing with these parables is something I think we all encounter. And you don't have to be into any of these particular kinds of artists or whatever to get this. But, but there's, so, there's something that happens when, when someone constructs something so powerfully and intentionally that, and they're, they're so able to kind of communicate with precision what they want to communicate that, that even if like the whole world looks at it and goes, I don't understand this at all, it, the, the really good stuff can have a way of revealing itself over time in a way that's shocking. Honestly, Jesus' parables are like that. Or maybe it would be better to say that all this stuff, the shadow of what Jesus was able to do with his parables, you hear it once, you don't know what to make of it, but you give it time, and the kingdom of God is revealed to you in Jesus' parables. It's powerful. More than that, something, other, something else really interesting about these parables is that they often work almost like commentaries on what we're seeing elsewhere in the Gospels. So we're going to read, Jesus is going to explain this parable in just a second. But, but Jesus explains that this parable is about how the word of God goes out through Jesus and it produces different results and different kinds of hearers. Um, it's no coincidence that the major theme of the first three chapters of Mark that we've been studying now for the past six months has been about all these different people's reactions to Jesus, right? It's 
you know, the religious leaders like being puzzled and then being angry and then deciding to kill him and the crowds are interested, but will they commit? And his disciples are, you know, willing to drop everything and come after him, but they don't understand basic things about what he's doing. And it's like basically a commentary on all the characters we're meeting so far and yet to come in Mark's gospel. This parable gives us a grid to see and to evaluate the many reactions to Jesus that are coming up in the gospel according to Mark. And, and it's really interesting to note that in the three Gospels that heavily feature parables, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the parable of the sower, this one, is always the first one given in a string of parables about the kingdom. Um, New Testament scholar Klein Snodgrass says, it's a parable about hearing the message of the kingdom. It's a parable about parables as well. You could even say it's a parable about, well, that's the end of his quote. I'm saying, you could even say it's a parable about every time we come into contact with the words of God in the ancient scriptures, whether here together or in our homes or wherever we do, anywhere. This is about the process of coming into contact with the word of God. Fortunately for us, this is like one of the very few parables where the gospel writer records a direct explanation from Jesus. So instead of me trying to take my swing at it. Let's just let Jesus explain it to us. How about that? So he says, here's the purpose of the parables. And then verse 13, he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, word of God, word about the kingdom. Verse 15. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. But then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So, the kingdom of God has something to do with the word going out like seed on soil. And we've got four examples of soil. Path, which is this dense, hard soil where it never even has a chance to root and Satan can just come and pluck it away and it's like as if it had never gone to that soil. We've got rocky ground which quickly receives the word and it's fired up about it, it's excited feels like its life has been changed, but it turns out it never even had a chance to build a root. Persecution comes, difficulty comes, ugly circumstance comes, and they just leave it. There's no growth. There's thorny ground where the root seems to take. It does take, it looks like. But comforts, desire for comfort, and other agendas begin to crowd out what had taken root and no fruit even gets produced. And then finally, there's good soil where they accept it and bear all kinds of fruit. And I think it's important to note how often images like this get used for the spread of Jesus' kingdom. Notice, notice the image is not an army 
taking territory. <laughs> the image is so often just like this. It's seed being scattered. It's, fa- it's farming imagery. It's, it's nature imagery. It, it, the image is that Jesus is out here. He's teaching, his, he's teaching, he's preaching, he's sharing the good news of the kingdom, and he's just doing it indiscriminately, and he's leaving it up to the hearers to respond. Do you have ears to hear, or do you not? The image is not the king who, who rallies a giant army and goes and slaughters everyone in order to advance the kingdom. I, I was reading Tim Keller on this, and he was pointing out how every other, every other human kingdom you can think of, even, even democracy, a democracy, a democratic republic like the one we live in, it's ultimately 51% forcing their will on the other 49. It's just force. Just you don't like it? I'm sorry. You were outvoted. Like the will of the majority is going to come. Whether it's right or wrong, it's going to impact you. To speak nothing of, you know, obvious coups and things like that. But the kingdom of God is not that way. It doesn't come through force. It comes through scattering a seed. Methodically, gently, indiscriminately, everywhere. It goes out to every kind of soil. But do those soils have the ears to hear? That's the question. So, the parable itself, at the start and the end, it only contains one command. It begins and ends with the command to hear, to listen. And it's a command that bears on us every time we open up the scriptures together. And so, Instead of belaboring that, yeah, I, I, I'm assuming if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've probably heard this parable taught in some detail. But I just, I just had the thought, instead of trying to belabor this and really get into, oh, here's what the different kinds, here's an example of these different kinds of soil. I, I, I kind of want to just do what Jesus did. I kind of want to just do what Jesus did. It doesn't mean to be wrong to do that, but for, for today, I want to just do what Jesus did. I say, instead of belaboring this, that we just read it. We read the parable a third time. And then we ask Jesus to give us the ears to hear and the eyes to see and the heart to receive what he has for us here. Does that sound okay with y'all? So this is the end of the sermon. Go back right there. That's the slide. Mm, Previous. Previous. That one. Maybe even close your eyes again. These are the words of Jesus. You're not, a, you're not an ancient Israelite farmer. You're whoever you are. In 2021, in Portland. And this word is coming to you from these scriptures that have been preserved for us down the millennia. This is the word of Jesus. He says, listen. Behold. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. And other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. 
and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear.